0: Welcome to the Veterans Perspective, presented by the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency, with your host, Director of the MVAA, Zanetta Adams.
1: Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. I'm your host, Zanetta Adams, Director of the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency. No- November is Veterans and Military Families Month. Also, it's National Family Caregivers Month. It's really an important time to recognize veterans and all the family members who care for our service members and veterans. We'll talk to one caregiver in Detroit who's caring for her Vietnam veteran father while balancing a career as a mental health professional. We'll also talk about emergency assistance and mental health resources for veterans, and also this year's inductees into the Michigan Military, a Veterans Hall of Honor. Joining us today is Angelina Taylor, a hidden hero for the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and the mental health professional, Jeff Frisbee, Executive Director of National Guard Association of Michigan, and Valde Garcia former state senator and Army colonel who will talk to us today about his role with the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor. It's a show you don't want to miss. So stick around. We'll be right back on the Veterans Perspective. Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. On today's show, we're going to talk about Military Veterans and Families Month, um, as well as National Family Caregivers Month. And we'll also be talking about the 2022 inductees into the Michigan uh, Military Veterans Hall of Honor and then mental health resources for veterans as well. You know, um, this uh, earlier this month, Governor Whitmer proclaimed November as Veterans and Military Families Month. Also, National Family Caregivers Month is a time celebrated every November to recognize and honor family members across the country who care for a loved one. Now, according to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, which is their main mission is to help caregivers. There are more than 5.5 million caregivers for service members or veterans in the United States, and 70% of them are providing care to their spouse or partner. Um, 96% of caregivers are female, including one of, our, one of our guests today. And, you know, we have a lot of children who are serving as caregivers as well. And we'll talk more about that with Angelina later on in the show. But I also wanted to recognize that men are caregivers too. And, um, you know, when I was going through my challenges and in a wheelchair and needing assistance with my activities of daily living, ADLs as they call them, um, my, my husband was a big support. He still is. He still does do things for me that, you know, I struggle with doing. Um, And so um, he has definitely been a great caregiver for the, you know, since 2015, but also a great spouse. And a lot of times spouses don't see themselves as caregivers because they believe that that's their duty to take care of their spouse, sicker, you know, through sickness and health, you know, uh, till death do us part. Those are the vows we take. And so uh, I know many of you who may be caring for your veteran spouse or your veteran parent or your veteran child. You look at this as a duty that's um, bestowed upon you by by the title that you hold right now, but you need to recognize that it's important to look at yourself as a caregiver as well. Um, you know, I watch my, um, my mom and dad. Um, my mom is my dad's caregiver. She has to give him insulin um, two, three times a week, and so it's very hard for them to travel. It's very hard for them to do a lot of things, but she's also a spouse, and so, you know, when she started to recognize that she's a spouse and a caregiver, it really helped to relieve a burden because you have to put on two different hats. If you keep that hat on as loved one, uh, uh, spouse, child, then I think there's a, a level of frustration um, that can be had when you're, you're doing everything for your spouse, you're taking care of that spouse or loved one um, or friend who is in time of need, and then you don't get to get to the role of the other hats that you wear. And so it can be frustrating, but if you're able to say, look, I'm in a caregiving role right now, my responsibility is to take care of this issue, and you can take that out head off to be spouse or loved one or child, you know, it makes it makes the process much easier. And I know that that's what, you know, Elizabeth Dole Foundation is, is there to assist with, and we'll hear more about some of the things that they do. But, you know, I, I would ask myself, you know, you know, what am I providing for that veteran in my life? And am I a caregiver? And if that answer is yes, you know, you're going to want to reach out and find out where resources are available to you. May, maybe they're mental health resources, maybe they're respite resources, maybe they're um, maybe they're financial resources. And so um, I, know, I know from personal experience that caregiving is a demanding and challenging job. And nearly 90 of, 90% of caregivers report increased stress and anxiety. And nearly 80% report sleep deprivation as an is- issue. From my own personal experience, and this is not with a veteran, you know, having been to be a caregiver to a, you know, autistic child was one thing I never saw myself having to step into that role. But learning about the resources that were out there and available, for instance, being able to have someone come in and watch him that was trained and trusted, you know, if I needed to go to a doctor's appointment or my husband and I just wanted to go out on a date or something. That was so helpful to be able to have and to know that there are resources available to know that um, we had uh, programs that could help like camp and all those other things to be able to give him a, a place to go as well. Those things were crucial. And so I, I, I encourage you to to kind of look at your situation, look at where you are, look at your life and determine, am I providing, a, am I in a caregiver role? And if you're, if you're questioning that or you're, interested in learning more, you can give us a call at one 800 mishfet that's 1-800-642-4838, or you can call the VA, um, that's at 1-800-827-1000, I believe that's the right number, I hope that's the right number, but you can um, get in touch with someone to talk to them, or you can go on the va.gov website and look up caregivers, or uh, you can also reach out to the Lisbeth Dole Foundation, but um, it's important that you take care of yourself, and sometimes we don't recognize the need to take care of ourselves if we don't recognize the title that we hold in that space. Um, you know, I, I would also be remiss if I didn't say that one third of post 9-11 caregivers don't have health insurance, according to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. And so there are help. there's help out there. And so again, when you visit the VA, look for their caregiver support uh, program, which you can Google. Um, they offer a monthly sti- stipend for those who are eligible uh, caregivers of veterans. Um, Veteran caregivers can also receive monthly health counseling and certain travel benefits when traveling with veterans to appointments. Um, so there are there are things out there to help you. You don't have to do it alone. We're always talking to veterans and letting them know they're not alone. There's help here. And I want to encourage you as caregivers, as support systems, as um, those people who are serving, that you're not alone either. There are supports there for you. There are other people who've gone through and have great stories of how they've overcome certain challenges so don't do this alone so again you can reach us at one 800 mishfit that's 1-800-642-4838 to find out more and listen if you're struggling or you're veterans struggling you can always call the veterans crisis line at 988-PRESS-1 just to talk to somebody so I, I, I encourage you to continue to move forward and I encourage you to stick with this show because there's going to be some great information so we'll be right back with our next guest on the veterans perspective Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. Joining me as our first guest today is Angelina Taylor. Angelina is a mental health professional, a military caregiver and caregiver advocate in Detroit. She provides care management to a caseload of over 200 clients with various diagnoses uh, ranging from ADHD to depression to bipolar disorder. She earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and master's degree in educational psychology, both from Wayne State. And she is a reigning former, I don't know what the title is, a uh, pageant queen correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. Their name uh, is Michigan World Universal.
1: Well, welcome to the show, and thank you for your service to, you know, veterans, really.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Director Adams.
1: So, I mean, I know this is not your first time on the show, so welcome back. Um, I, You know, we're talking today about this month is, um, it was, I know the governor proclaimed this as Veterans and um, Military Families Month, and it's also National Caregivers Month uh, here in November. And so uh, we know that uh, caregivers like you are hidden heroes. They don't step forward from the shadows. A lot of times they don't recognize their service. Um, And so um, I would love to know a little bit more about um, you and what you're doing and how you got to this place.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, Just a little bit of background about myself. Uh, I grew up here in Detroit. As you mentioned earlier, I'm a graduate from Wayne State University. Um, Over the last few years, I've been working as a mental health professional and obviously taking care of dad. Um, I love to travel. I'm a cat mom and love to advocate for my community and other caregivers.
1: Well, that's great. And so um, can you tell us a little bit about your dad?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, My dad is a, um, he's a Marine Corps veteran. He is retired from Detroit Police Department for over 25 years, as well as an additional 13 years from the Detroit Public Schools Police Department.
1: Okay, and he's a Vietnam veteran,
2: right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah.
1: Um, And so you, you, when did you realize that you were a caregiver?
2: when did I realize that I was a caregiver? Um, Well, I, I found my dad at home after he had had a stroke. So that was kind of, it wasn't an immediate, you know, notion that, oh, I'm going to end up being dad's caregiver. But as he began to need, you know, more care staying at the hospital, his needs being met coming home from his hospital stay. Um, eventually, some months into it, once he came, once he came home from the facility, it was like, oh, this is real. Um, I'm the one responsible for his care now. This is, you know, it's my responsibility to make sure that he's getting his needs met. And then when I started to look for resources um, to support, you know, the things we needed at home and taking care of him, that's when I realized and w- when I'd seen the term caregiver used so often and then finally registered I'm my dad's caregiver
1: yeah yeah I mean and I think that's probably a similar stories to a lot of people they don't recognize that title title because you were just serving as daughter to your dad right you didn't see yeah. yourself as any other title
2: exactly yeah initially it was just me feeling you know this is dad I'm gonna make sure he's taken care of but then I'm um, looking for different support groups and resources it's like oh right I'm his you know that I'm considered his caregiver so it made sense
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, once you recognize that, that title, like how did, how did your life change from there?
2: Recognizing that title um, was a big game changer. It led to me being able to find different resources that cater to the caregiving community. Um, One of those communities is the Hidden Heroes community for military and veteran caregivers. So just being able to connect with other people who are in the same position, being able to find different uh, resources that can help him with the needs that he needs as a veteran and an aging adult. Um, So it's very, it's been very helpful to identify as a caregiver for sure.
1: Well, I know that you, um, you know, you're a caregiver fellow, which means that you carried this title for one or two years here in Michigan as a Michigan uh, caregiver fellow for Elizabeth Dole Foundation, and you have 200 plus clients. You're taking care of your dad. How do you have time
2: to do what you do for Elizabeth Dole Foundation? Um, How do I do it all? That's a great question. (laughs) Um, Most days I feel like I'm superwoman, but it's really about learning over the years how to balance and manage things. Um, Initially going into everything, it was, you know, feeling scattered, like you really don't know what you're in for as far as balancing career, taking care of someone, Um, but I have kind of perfected a balancing game of, you know, being able to connect all areas that I'm working in. I know a lot of caregivers face a lot of mental health struggles, Um, being able to connect with my clients in the same fashion. A lot of them are experiencing caregiver burnout. Um, A lot of, I have ADHD, connecting with my ADHD clients on the needs and balancing their career and whatnot. Um, So just being able to combine all those areas and one has been able to help me keep everything balanced and, you know, put myself out there to, um, um you know, advocate for our community members with uh, you know caregiving needs.
1: Well, that's great. what are What are some of the things you've been able to do as a fellow for uh, the Elizabeth Dole Foundation?
2: Um, as a fellow, I've been able to meet with my state representatives out at the Capitol out in D.C., been able to reach um, a lot of them on different important legislators, such as the, um, the Elizabeth Dole Act for community help and com- or, sorry, <laughs> Home and Community-Based Care Services, um, being able to discuss the needs of our military and veteran caregivers on the forefront of student debt relief. What a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the nation's caregivers are not working, and that, in turn, is keeping them from, you know, paying off those student loans as they need it. So just bringing important issues to our reps, um, meeting with different community members and um, going to career or community fairs, resource fairs, giving them information on how they can connect with the Hidden Heroes program.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, you're doing a lot of advocacy and that's what's, we need that. We need that for Michigan uh, caregivers, but it's also a national support issue as well. You know, there are two um, initiatives through the Elizabeth Dole Foundation that were launched in the last couple of years, the I Am a Caregiver initiative, as well as Hidden Helpers. Can you talk
2: about those? Yes, absolutely. Our I Am a Caregiver initiative is um, basically our campaign to address um, I, having caregivers identify themselves as caregivers. As I mentioned earlier, I didn't initially identify myself. So I know there's tons, and we all know that there's tons of others that don't immediately identify themselves as caregivers, but if you are providing those uh, activities of daily living, providing medication, transportation, um, all these important care needs, you are indeed a caregiver and you deserve and need that, re- that um, you know, those resources and that support from our community. And then for hidden helpers, it's helping to identify our children who are also caregiving for parents and their veterans and military loved ones at home.
1: Well, those are great programs. Have you seen more people identifying since you launched the I Am a Caregiver initiative?
2: Yes, we've had several caregivers uh, register on our Hidden Heroes website, where um, you know you can register within your community as a self-identified veteran caregiver and have access to all sorts of important resources through our newsletters and other information.
1: And where can people go to either identify or find out more information about a lot of your programs?
2: They can go to hiddenheroes.org.
1: Hiddenheroes.org. You know, um, before we wrap up, I know we were talking about the hidden helpers. And I know that you all are doing a push for stories from children. So uh, is that the same website? Like, what is that about?
2: Yes, so there is a current uh, campaign that they're doing to push for more hidden helpers or our hidden hero children to come forward and tell their story, share their story and their side of things as their perspective as a young caregiver navigating life taking care of, you know, their parents, and that can be found on the hidden heroes website as well under our hidden helpers um, program.
1: Well, that's great information and I would encourage anyone who has children that are helping to reach out I mean these programs weren't available when I had my children were being caregivers for me and the burden that it took on them is still affecting them as adults today you know thank God for counseling and all these other opportunities for them um, that we've become more aware of the resources out there but You know, kids didn't have this 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even five years ago. And so the fact that the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is raising awareness and bringing children to the fold is huge. So I wish you all the success with everything that you're doing. And thank you for continuing to advocate to raise awareness for
2: our military caregivers. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Angelina. So when we come back after the commercial break, we'll be speaking with Jeff Frisbee of the National Guard Association of Michigan. Um, It's definitely a segment that you don't want to miss. So stick around and we'll be right back on the Veterans Perspective.
0: Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective presented by the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency. Now your host, director of the MVAA. Zanetta Adams.
1: Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. Our next guest is Jeff Frisbee. Jeff is the Executive Director of the National Guard Association of Michigan, which was established more than six decades ago to advance the interest of our National Guard members. He served more than 17 years with the Arkansas Army National Guard and spent a total of nearly three years in Iraq, completing over 300 combat patrols. Welcome back to the show, Jeff, and thank you for your service.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be here
1: yeah and and, you know so and i i just want to let everyone know too that uh you know if you didn't if you didn't serve in the national guard or you're not in the national guard don't tune out because there are so many great programs that nagam has for veterans as well to be able to assist and so um you're gonna want to listen um so you know we're you you got a lot of stuff going on right now i know you all are planning for some events in 2024 we just um wrapped up the uh, michigan and veterans gala here um, in Lansing earlier this month, um, but I wanted to talk about one of the things that you all are doing that's kind of this, uh, I guess it's a national campaign, but it's something that affects Michiganders, and that's the 54 by 24 campaign. Can you talk a little bit about that and what, 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 what you're doing with that?
3: Absolutely, so uh, you mentioned that we have some big things coming up, and we have these big conferences that we're planning for in 2024, and our goals right now, we're bringing all the Guard, every, every state and the four territories to Detroit, and we're going to celebrate the National Guard in a 10-day span. We're going to have about 7,000 Guardsmen that are here that, during that time frame. And most uh, states that host these conferences, they use them as a fundraiser. And what we decided to do, because we have a charitable arm of our organization, is that we didn't want to make money off of this conference. Instead, we wanted to find a way that we could give back. And we wanted to find a way that we could give back to one of the the most plaguing problems that we have right now within the Department of Defense, within our veterans community, and and certainly within the National Guard. And that is this, this suicide problem that we are struggling to really get under control. When we We're looking at how do do we do that? How do we become a part of this nationwide solution? Uh, We discovered uh, that there are campaigns across the nation that that provide service dogs, medically trained service dogs to veterans. And those organizations right now have some phenomenal numbers. A particular organization that we are working with actually has a 0% suicide rate um, for their veterans. So when we, we, we think about the, the phrases that we use to talk about this problem, specifically the, the 22 a day, and we throw that number around, and then we look at this organization who over the last decade has a 0% suicide rate, we felt like we were on to something. So this 54 by 24 campaign that you mentioned, we, when we have these two national conferences and the National Guard from all across the country here in Detroit, our effort is to serve one service dog for a veteran in all of the 54 states and territories. And we want to be able to bring those veterans, those guardsmen, those veterans to Detroit and let them tell their own story of how their life has been impacted, how it's been changed, and even how they found themselves out of uh, these suicidal ideations and these depression Um, periods of depression in their life and how the service dog made an impact to that. So we're hoping that we can really catch some fire with this campaign and provide what may be a very viable solution to the suicide problem.
1: Oh, that's great. And so where are you at right now with that? So right
3: now we have uh, seven dogs that have actually been fully funded. So we have seven states. Michigan was the first state that we were able to support. Um, We have a veteran that's in the Detroit area that we were able to uh, support there. And then we have uh, six other states that we've fully funded. And we have uh, 10 other states that are either involved in this campaign, they're currently raising money to help us sponsor a dog, or uh, corporate entities that are doing the same. So we're almost to about, uh, we're at 17 dogs right now, I think, uh, Uh, is exactly where we're at for saying, hey, we've got this money raised to sponsor these 17 dogs. And uh, the 10 that I'm talking about that we're currently uh, fundraising for, not all 10 of those have been designated to our state. We have some donors who are saying, here you go. Whatever the next veteran is in line, we want you to give this to them. And then we also have some companies that uh, have said, you know, this specific state we want florida we want pennsylvania Um, i have a group of national guardsmen out of louisiana who just this weekend held an event so that they could raise money for a louisiana veteran to be matched with a service dog so we've got a lot of lot of way to go before we hit 54 but we have a great start with 17 already
1: oh that is great and so what's the cost so what what does it cost to, to to sponsor one dog so
3: one dog is $25,000 and that's a big price tag. And I know that maybe those who are listening will think, wow, I can go to the pound and, and get a dog for much less than that. The dogs that we are talking about are very unique animals. They, are, they spend two years in training before they're ever matched with a veteran. And in that two year time frame, they are taught to be a medically certified dog, which means this dog has the ability to really evaluate that veteran's health he can he can s- sense uh, sugar levels in his uh, for his blood uh, he can sense chemical imbalances in the brain he has the ability to recognize that that veteran is going through some sort of depressive episode and can, and, and makes its way to that veteran to try to pull him out. He does everything he can medically to identify the problem, and help the veteran get beyond the problem.
1: Oh, that's great news, and and, and it is an expense, and that expense is not put on the veteran, which is why I know you're raising funds, so we appreciate that, and we'll we'll share the website that people can go to to either support or maybe apply for a dog um, at the end here, but I wanted to switch gears really quickly um, to talk about the National Guard Association of Michigan's Veteran Support Grant. Um, who, who is that benefiting? What is that grant for?
3: So uh, another program that we do as an organization is we run the veteran support grant. And um, this is open to any veteran within the state of Michigan. They do not have to be National Guard. They don't have to be Army or Air Force. Any branch of service, uh, if they live in the state of Michigan, we have a grant that is available to them to help with certain financial needs with the, for the family. Um, also, uh, uh, surviving spouses are eligible for our grant. But um, we last year, we were able to give away about $450,000 in grants to veterans across the state. And some of these grants are actually large amounts. We're talking 20, $25,000. Uh, our grant is capped at 25,000, but we're able to help with things like uh, roof repairs, um, new siding on houses, late medical bills, car notes, um, house payments. So we have a, a large ability to really impact a lot of the veteran community within the state of Michigan. Um, and we have a, a grant that's available to them. It's not, it's not something that can turn around within a 24-hour period. So if a veteran comes to us and, and they say, hey, I'm about to get evicted, I can't turn around and immediately give them money. But if they have big projects like a new roof, I can help them with that.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. And so You know, where can people go to either find out about the 54 by 24 um, or uh, the veteran support grant?
3: Yes, ma'am. So on my website, which is www.ngam.org, the very first thing that will pop up is a 54 by 24 campaign. And then also on my website, if they look up in the top right corner, they'll see veteran support Grant as one of the menu options and they can go there to learn about the grant process.
1: That's great information. You shared a lot of good information and these are life-saving information from the resources that people need to 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 stay afloat to the, the, the um, service animals. So thank you so much for joining us again and sharing this great information with us today, Jeff.
3: Thank you. And thank you for all that you're doing for our community.
1: All right, thanks. We'll be right back on the Veterans Perspective after this commercial break. Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. I'm your host, Zanetta Adams, Director of the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency. And joining me as our final guest today is Valdi Garcia. Valdi spent more than 30 years as an Army officer in active duty National Guard and Reserve roles. He also served as a state representative and state senator here in Michigan. Finally, he's the president and board chair of the Michigan Military Veterans Hall of Honor. Welcome to the show, Colonel Garcia, and thank you for your service.
0: Well, thank you. It's been a while since I've been called Colonel, but uh, Valdi is fine. Thank you
1: all right well, um you know i I was so honored to be able to participate on behalf of uh, Governor Whitmer in the Michigan um, Hall of honor recognition last week. and so, um, can you talk a little bit about what is the Hall of honor?
0: so the Hall of Honor is a nonprofit organization started in twenty eighteen with the idea of recognizing Michiganders who served uh, their nation in uniform and have either distinguished themselves in military service, or after they put away their uniform, gone on to do great things uh, for their communities, their state, or or the country.
1: Okay, and so how long has this uh, Hall of Honor been active or what? how long have you been doing what you've been doing?
0: Well, we inducted our first class in the spring of 2019, and we were going to do uh, the same thing in the spring of 2020, but COVID hit, and we had to delay our induction ceremonies, and we actually combined the 2020 class and the 2021 class and moved it to November of uh, 2021. So the ceremony that you took part in, uh, again, this uh, past week, was our fourth class, but uh, only our third ceremony. So uh, we're very happy with the results um, in terms of the people that we've inducted into the Hall of Honor, and it's a very special mission. It's a little bit unique in terms of we recognize veterans. So, And I realize there are a lot of veterans organizations out there uh, doing great things. This one is slightly different.
1: So with the Hall of Honor, just from my understanding, every single inductee is a veteran, but you, you recognize them for uh, as military inductees and veterans inductees. Can you talk about the distinction?
0: Sure. For instance, we've had some Michiganders who've done uh, significant things. They've gone on to very high rank. They've become generals or admirals. Uh, We've had female uh, admirals. We've had Air Force generals. We've had Tuskegee airmen. But we've also had veterans who've gone on, after they they left the uniform, they went on to do great things. People like Bill Milliken, Gerald Ford. Uh, We even uh, have inducted uh, Senator Gary Peters, who served um, in the Naval Reserve and then put away the uniform and went on to do uh, really good things in his community for the state and now for the nation as a U.S. senator.
1: So these Hall of Honor inductees are both living and deceased?
0: Absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, by a vote of the board, all of the uh, recipients of the uh, Medal of Honor have been inducted into the hall, and then we try and feature some of them in our program booklet each time. But eventually, we hope to have a building where we can recognize all of these men and women who've done great deeds. But, you know, we we talk about uh, folks who have done great things, but also, and we talked about generals and admirals, but we also have folks who are privates and corporals and sergeants who have distinguished themselves in military service, and and some uh, ultimately gave their life uh, in the service of their country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, the ultimate sacrifice and to be able to, I'm just going to be honest, I, I've, I've been very, very humbled to be able to be a part of the, the ceremonies for the last two years, so really three classes <laughs> mm-hmm. um, of inductees and to be able to stand there and provide the, um, the induction uh, medal. The, the medallion that you have, and we'll talk about that in a second, yeah. um, to, you know, the family of Gerald R. Ford and, and and all of those folks that just truly humbling, really. You're watching history. Can you talk about the medallion that they receive?
0: Well, it was, a, it was a, a, a medallion designed by a couple of folks on our board, and we wanted to do something a little bit different. People get plaques and they get ribbons and they get certificates, but we wanted something that they could wear with pride and with honor, and that their family could then uh, take and display um, and cherish. So it's a symbol of the, the services of the state of Michigan, and ultimately their service uh, to our country, to our state and, and to communities. And, and before I forget, I wanna thank you for agreeing to speak uh, to, the, um, to the ceremony, to all the participants. I think uh, last year and this year, you'll recognize how inspiring the stories were of, of all of our recipients. Truly some fantastic people.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And 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 that's a great segue. I would love to talk a little bit about some of the folks that were honored on November 18th. Can you just give us a little touch of you know some of the folks that were honored in uh in our state?
0: Sure, absolutely. So for instance, you have, and and I will have trouble pronouncing her name. So I'm I'm not sure that I'm going to to uh, say her name, but we have a a woman veteran, a female veteran who served in World War I. Um, Back in World War I, General Pershing, the commander of US forces, put out a call for assistance for telephone operators to help with the communications. This would free up um, the fighting men to be able to serve on the front lines. And so this young lady at the age of 25 uh, left her family and home behind traveled to um, um, Europe, to France in particular, and served as a telephone operator, one of, of, I believe, um, a couple dozen from Michigan, and they endured all the same hardships that uh, the men, the fighting men did as well. Unfortunately, she was, when she was discharged, she was not given veteran status, and they had to fight for that recognition and all the benefits that are accrued to all of our veterans. So you know, it, it ended uh, well for her, but it took a very long time for her to receive the recognition that, that, that she deserved. We, we've had a, a lieutenant general, a young man who was drafted and then ended up uh, staying in and, and becoming a, a three-star general. We've had uh, one of the uh, uh, recipients, uh, uh, Colonel Anderson, was, the, was featured in a Vietnam document documentary of the Anderson platoon, Vietnam. Uh, we've had uh, others, again, uh, both men and women who have done great things for veterans here in the state. And uh, I guess my favorite is uh, Tom Skerritt uh, mm-hmm. because growing up I had wanted to be a fighter pilot. But as I mentioned in, in the uh, ceremony, there were reasons why that didn't happen. But to have someone like Tom Scarrett, who's featured in many films, portraying the American fighting man, um, and to have him recognized plus the fact that he's doing great things for servicemen out in California um, I, I just thought was a, a great thing
1: yeah I I, I remember um, when I read his bio and I was I get to get to introduce him as his you know or I get to award his award and I'm like yeah I remember he was in the first Top Gun
0: exactly and, and he was a, he was a tough guy I mean he was a no-nonsense guy and when I found out that he was a uh, uh, a Michigander. And he was doing all these great things for veterans as well. Uh, it was a no-brainer and the, and the board selected him to be one of the recipients.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I know uh, Olita was who you were talking about and I thank her for paving the way for women to get uh, benefits that they deserved. And, and, yep. and you had Carol um, Hebert, who is, mm-hmm. you know, a Michigan Veteran Trust Fund, uh, trustee and you, you know from coleman young to herman kaiser to to thomas please uh please i think that's a name uh, clement van wagner clifford worthy virgil Nishim- nishimuri westdale i know i probably messed that up i know jason gerkey ralph Howenstein, um and uh herman kaiser so you know Great, great, great class. And so wow. honored to have been able to um, share that. I, You know, just real quick before we wrap up, can you just share where people can go to apply f- to for someone to be in the Hall of Honor for next year?
0: Sure. If you go on our, on our uh, website, Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor uh, website.org, dot, dot and we also have a Facebook page with lists um, about 500 different Michiganders who have distinguished themselves as well. But uh, they can go to either one of those two, they go to the, the, the website and fill out an application or send us an email, and we will take their nomination under consideration. All nominations have to be in by May 30th of 2023. The board will then review all the nominations and then vote on them, and uh, the top eight uh, from each category get uh, selected, and only six will be inducted, two will be on standby in case something happens to one of the top six.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us again today, Valdi, and I want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. Um, we hope that you all had um, a great holiday, and we look forward to seeing you next week on the Veterans Perspective.